Well, uh, good morning. It's, um, it's good to be with you. Um, Sharon and I were just thinking as we were heading out here this weekend, it's been a while since we've been in Garnavillo. I'm actually not sure when's the last time we were here, but uh, it is certainly good to be back with you in person. Um, the last uh, couple of years certainly have been, or a year and a half, certainly have been unique. And um, it, uh, it is certainly good to be back with you uh, here in Garnavillo. And uh, thank you for the privilege to speak to you today. Um, I've told my father-in-law a number of times that uh, every time I come here, I do not need to speak. But then I realized I haven't been here in a while, so I thought I'd better say yes uh, this time. Um, before we read from the Word of God and just uh, make some introductory comments, just let's, let's ask for God's uh, blessing uh, on what we'll have to say. Father, we are thankful for your Word. And our Father, we're thankful that your Word touches so many parts of our lives. We're at times, our Father, we um, think in this world uh, where there are so few answers and sometimes uh, so much confusion and ambiguity, yet when we come to your word, our Father, we're thankful for its clarity. There are times we don't understand sometimes, Father, what you're saying to us, but we're also thankful for the Spirit of God that we have within us um, that can teach us if we're teachable. And we're thankful, our Father, for the clarity that can come through your word on uh, many different types of subjects. We just pray to bless our conversation today and what we have before us. We pray that it'll be profitable. We pray that our Father, it'll be um, helpful to uh, to all of us as we even just think of our relationship with uh, with one another. So be with us, we pray. Thank you again for your Son in his name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if anyone else in the audience can um, relate to me on this, but um, every now and then you, uh, when you're you're thinking about speaking um, or taking the responsibility of speaking to a, um, a group of God's people, um, there's sometimes you're just very sure about what you're going to speak about. It's uh, You have great clarity. You have um, uh, maybe peace from God as to what you're going to talk about, you think at least, and somehow it's going to, to relate um, to the audience. Then every now and then you go out on a limb. So I'm going to be very transparent with you this morning. This is a little bit going out on a limb. So I don't know if this is going to be uh, at all applicable to the saints or to the Christians that are here at Garnabello. And you can feel free to share that with me once this uh, 25 minutes or whatever is done. Um, but I, I do pray that it has or it will be helpful because where I believe this is coming from is I will share with you why um, I've gone down this path of uh, seeking to speak to you today about the all-important subject of peacemaking. A couple of things have taken place over the last number of months. The obvious one is um, the global pandemic that has uh, impacted our world. And unless Garnavillo has lived in a bubble that is unlike any other place in the world, the reality is, is that it has had an impact in a profound way on many different things and many, many different aspects of our life. One being, one being the pressure that it has put on interpersonal relationships between family members, between Christians, between um, many different um, many different relationships that we carry on on a day-to-day -day basis. The profound impact that COVID has had on the relationships of each of us has truly been significant. The other thing that has taken place over the last number of months is something that came a little bit out of the blue, but in the Spring, uh, Spring Creek Assembly in Chicago, where uh, Sherry and I go, in the last uh, couple, the last year or so, we've had a couple of new couples that have been married, young couples that have that have entered into the um, relationship of wedded bliss, 
And one of the burdens that was on uh, the hearts of a number of people at Spring Creek was to take our young people through a course or through some material that would prepare them for married life. And um, long story short, they landed on a program called Reengage. And by the way, I would highly recommend it to you. It's called Reengage. It is a program that is put together by the Watermark Church out of Dallas, Texas. And it is an excellent, well-run program. It is part of their outreach ministry that they have at that church. Um, but they use it to, I would say, to profound blessing um, in some of the content that we have looked at. So for the last number of, uh, of weeks, Sherry and I, along with a number of other couples, both old, those that have been married for a long time, and then some that are newly married, have been going through a program called Reengage. And there have been principles that I have learned, and I will let me back up. I will be the first to admit, Sherry will be my witness, that when first was brought to my attention, my first reaction was, we don't need that. I mean, really? What are you trying to tell me, Sherry? I mean, is there problems that I don't know about? But um, my first reaction was, I don't really think we need that. We are not the candidates to go through a marriage program um, and, and talk about our marriage with a whole bunch of other Christians. I mean, it felt uncomfortable. But I would tell you now being seven or eight weeks in, or maybe more than that, 10 weeks in, the experience has been very enlightening and it has, been very, it has been a significant blessing because many of the principles that we have gone through, I have realized that they are principles that just do not apply to marriage, but they apply to the many relationships that we have uh, in all aspects of our lives. So that is really what has led me <clears throat> to... Um, to taking up this subject of peacemaking. I hope it'll be beneficial because what I think is interesting is what it has what it has taught me is that I'm pretty good at conflict. But peacemaking is a whole different story. And you know, sometimes how we view conflict is a very interesting thing. When you think about it from a biblical perspective, because what I would say before we stepped into this course and started going through some of the material, if you had said to me, Craig, how do you view conflict in your marriage? I would have answered very simply. Conflict in my marriage is something that I try to stay as far away from as possible. And I would have thought that I could have found scripture to kind of back that up. And you can. Read through the books of the Proverbs and over and over again, it will talk about how it is wise, if you can at all possible, to avoid conflict or to not keep conflict going along. And my perspective would have been is that do everything that you possibly can just to avoid conflict. And there's a whole bunch of coping mechanisms that you and I can employ in order to avoid conflict, whether it is in our marriages, in our personal relationships, one with the other in the local church. There's all kinds of things that we can do to avoid conflict. All of it is not healthy. But it is interesting when we come to Scripture, is that when you come to 1 Peter 1 and think about the context of that epistle when Peter wrote to those Christians, he talked about the fact that trials ultimately would come, that challenges were going to come. It is an inevitable circumstance of life that through your Christian experience, you are going to come into significant trials, tribulations, and challenges. Some of those are going to be interpersonal. Some of those are going to be relationship-driven. Some of them are going to be external. But when Peter was writing to the Christians, he was writing to a group of people that were living in an era that likely there has never been the persecution of the Christian church like those people experienced. And he basically said, you can look at it a couple of different ways. 
You can look at living your Christian life and doing everything you possibly can to live it as smooth and without bumps as possible and, and removing all kinds of pressure and trial and difficulty from your life. But guess what? That is not how gold of the Christian character gets revealed. And it is actually in the fire and in the pressure and in trials and difficulties that we have the ability to allow the glory of God to be manifested in our relationships. So bring that into our personal, our personal relationships. If we live our Christian lives thinking that conflict is never going to happen, we are likely living in an unreal world. And if you're living your marriage today, and this is not a marriage course, by the way, but just bear with me because much of what I'm saying today is in the backdrop of this program we're going through. But even if you're living your marriage today and you're trying to live it with the perspective that there is never going to be conflict and I'm going to try to do everything I possibly can to avoid conflict, you're likely not living in a real world. You're likely not living in a real relationship. If that's the kind of relationship that you either are looking to have or think you have is a relationship that is free of conflict. But we need to shift, I think, our perspective a little bit. And I think COVID has done that. I, I've read um, a number of different um, articles about the impact of COVID on the Christian church. And it is interesting to me how many of those articles seem to spend a lot of time lamenting the fact that COVID has actually happened. Here's the reality. We can't rewrite history. And as I would submit to you that the challenges that we have experienced in the last year, even an interpersonal relationship within the local church setting with relationships, the tragedy, the tragedy is not that COVID happened. It's not. The tragedy is likely that it revealed cracks in our personal Christian relationships that revealed and exposed our inability to deal with conflict. That, I believe, is a greater tragedy. Because here's the reality. COVID, a few years from now, is probably going to be a distant memory. But something else is going to take place. Other things are going to come. Other pressures are going to be applied to the local Christian church. It is going to continue to happen. Guess what? It's been happening from the day that the church started. Pressures, trials, tribulations, issues always have put pressure on the personal relationships that take place within the local church setting. And sometimes that pressure, just like this picture revealed, that is a picture of the bridge that goes across the I-40, um, across the river on the on I-40 in Tennessee, and recently cracks were, were exposed because of the increased traffic that was taking place post-COVID that increased the pressure on that bridge and revealed some cracks that otherwise weren't known. Guess what? When it comes to our personal relationships, pressure is going to be constantly applied, and sometimes those pressures are going to reveal cracks that we need to take care of. And just my own personal perspective is this, is I reflect back on the year that has taken place. Maybe this has nothing to do with the relationships at the Garnerville Gospel Hall or the local church here. But here's what I have witnessed that at times it has exposed in the local church, in families, and in marriages. It has exposed an inability for us 
to deal with conflict and to deal with it in a godly way. So as I've said, the tragedy is not that some of these things take place because they will continue to take place. We cannot control that. You and I are not in control. God is. You and I are not in control of the next COVID that is around the corner, whatever that might be. But here is something that you and I are in control of. Every one of us in this room, or guess what? We are all in control and have a key role to play in the personal relationships that we maintain on a daily basis. Whether that's our marriages, whether that's with our children, whether that's with our fellow brothers and sisters, whether that's with our extended family members, you and I have a big part uh, to play in that. One, a great, an excellent resource, and I'm going to draw on a little bit here for the next few minutes, but I will not exhaust all of it. I would rec highly recommend this book to you. I bought it recently. I've uh, reviewed a number of the, bunch of the content. Some of this content was shared previously in the course that we were going through, and I said, I got to get that book. I want to see, uh, I, I want to dive into it a little bit more. And I would highly recommend this book, not maybe when you're in the middle of a problem and not maybe when you're in the middle of a conflict, but I would say, Read this book as preventative maintenance. It will give you principles of how to godly, in a godly way, deal with conflict and challenges in your life so that you can come to a point of being a peacemaker and making peace in your personal relationships. So before we go any further, let's just read a couple of scriptures. Because scripture is full of um, statements and truth that apply to this great subject of peacemaking and how we resolve and how we deal with conflict in our personal lives. Just for setting up context, let's go to the Old Testament and read a very interesting verse. It's actually almost humorous, but um, I think sometimes God does use humor. And uh, this is, might be one of those verses, <clears throat> especially when you reflect on some of the events of the last year. Proverbs 20 and 3, and just ask yourself if you've ever seen any of this take place in the last uh, 52 weeks. Proverbs 20 and 3 says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. Let me read that again. <clears throat> it is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. Let's come to Matthew now, to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 and verse number 9. <clears throat> well known, some of these, very well known, some of these passages. Matthew 5, uh, verse number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Come down to verse number 23. <clears throat> Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. I want you to notice the significance that God puts on being reconciled to your brother and sister and reconciliation in general. God requires, demands, covets worship from us. But before worship can take place, notice what it says. Leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I would ask you to reflect on that, on how often you and I have violated this verse. 
I'll speak for myself. There have been many times that I have violated the order that is found in this verse. Let's go to Matthew 18. <clears throat> Matthew 18, verse number 15. Matthew 18 and verse number 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now just for one final reading, let's come to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. I'm not going to make comment on all of these, but we'll refer to these principles in just the comments that I make here for the next few minutes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, well-known well known, uh, section of Paul talking about unity. He says, uh, Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In this book that I have just shared with you, it does puts, it puts together, and I'll pack some maybe biblical principles around it, but it goes through the four G's of peacemaking, which I just want to share with you today. We'll look at these uh, each of these four individually, but they are glorify God, get the log out of your gently restore, and go and be reconciled. I think it is important to have a framework when it comes to dealing with conflict in our life. Because here are the challenges that are working against you and me when it comes to solving conflict uh, in our life. The, the art of peacemaking is a very, as the writer describes it, it's a very slippery slope. And oftentimes, if you look at this diagram that's up on the screen in front of you, where we often reside when it comes to conflict resolution is on the outer edges of the slippery slope. And you will see that where those two red arrows are pointing, that we are often at the two extremes when it comes to conflict resolution because these things come very easy to us. On the far, on, on the far left, you'll see that what is described by the author as escape responses, or this is what he describes as peace faking. And we are very good at faking peace at times. Because sometimes for some of us, it becomes very natural. Our natural inclination when it comes to conflict and challenges is just to try and avoid it. Just try to deny that it even takes place. Just try to kind of kind of ignore it and hope that it goes away. And on that side, you can see things like suicide, flight, denial. These are mechanisms that oftentimes when the conflict grows heated and grows difficult, that some people... In order just really, it's a fake peace that they're going after. But this is what they will use to try to escape the conflict and remove themselves from the situation. Even going to the awful extreme maybe of suicide if the situation is so challenging. Or flight. How many marriages have got into difficult situations? And because the, the framework was not built for how to deal with conflict in a godly way, flight seems like that it's the only option. Or just simple denial and pretending that something doesn't exist. 
On the other side, another very easy place to fall. When conflict arises, when differences and challenges come into the relationship, whether it be the marriage or our Christian relationship between brother and sister, there's the attack response. And the writer describes this as being peace-breaking. But these are things like assault, litigation, even murder, going to the extreme of lashing out and taking care of business as a means and, and a method to deal with conflict. But where it is sometimes harder to stay is within the middle and going through what sometimes can be a very painful process of not ignoring the conflict, not pretending that it doesn't exist, and just trying to deal with it over the years. Not going to the other extreme of lashing out and assaulting and, and using violent means to try and bring the conflict to, to resolution, but spending the time in the middle of a peacemaking process that is around reconciliation and restoration. One of the things I think that is important, this was brought to my attention um, through this course, is one of the things that every one of us needs to be aware of when it comes to conflict in our lives is we need to be able to overlook minor offenses. Because if I was to look back on the things that I've had conflict over, let's just say over the last 20 years, and thankfully God has given me a wife that um, there has not been a lot of conflict. But if I was to say where there was, how much of the conflict was actually over nitpicky things that were personality differences, annoyances, um, things that just grate on your nerves, things that are just bothersome, that I do not have the grace of God within me to overlook. Now, the author puts together a, a very simple list when it comes to thinking about what you are going to be willing to address conflict with with your brother or sister or your spouse. And says, start with these four questions. And if you can answer no to all of these questions, you might want to consider overlooking the offense. Is it dishonoring to God? If the answer is yes, then obviously it's an issue that needs to be addressed. If the answer is no, what's the next question? Is it damaging your relationship? <clears throat> I would argue that leaving the toilet seat up is not damaging our relationship. However, however, these are the things that sometimes we need to consider and think about. When it comes to what am I going to dig in on and cause a conflict over? And what am I willing to show the grace of God in my life that I'm just willing to let it go? Brothers and sisters, I would say that it's something that becomes very challenging for all of us. Usually it starts to manifest itself, as many experts have said, around seven years of marriage in our marriages and beyond. The things that I once, in a state of, of wedded bliss and love and, and caring attitude, now start to grate on me. And I'm not willing to overlook them like I used to. Is it truly damaging your relationship? Third question, is it hurting others? If it is hurtful, if it is something that is going to do damage to other people, then it is something that needs to be addressed. Drug abuse, 
substance abuse, challenges that when in they are and when they are, have injected themselves into a relationship, they are doing damage to that person and damage to other damage to other people. They need to be addressed. They can't be overlooked. They are big enough that a conflict might take place, and there needs to be a form of resolution and reconciliation that takes place. And is it hurting the offender? So a very important thing for us to think about. I think for all of us at times to take a step back. I think about the events of the last, again, year and a half. How many times, how many times have I heard as I reflect on my own opinions and attitudes that I've had toward other people? As I think about how others have responded to COVID, how others maybe have been on the different side of the fence when it comes to, I'm just going to be transparent here today, brothers and sisters, whether it was wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. All of the different things that Christians got consumed with. And if you applied this list to some of the conflicts and challenges that took place, unfortunately, you would have to say no. And it's very likely some of these differences should have been overlooked. So I think it's good for us in any situation in life to have the ability just when we see conflict on the horizon with my spouse, with my fellow believer, with my children, that I can take a step back and think about these questions and then decide how I want to proceed. Very quickly, because I see we are running out of time and I want to get through, try to get through as much of this as we possibly can. But step number one is glorify God. In that four-step process or in those four Gs, the first thing that I was struck with as I thought of a conflict resolution is this, is that oftentimes I want to accelerate right to step three and go and address the person, try to do it in a godly way, but I am going to take this on now and I'm going to go and address it and let's, let's get this up. We want to circumvent, short-circuit the, the process oftentimes and jump into step three about going and talking to the person and so let's see if we can get this resolved. What struck me is this, is how that the author, and I think it is very well put and it is backed up by scripture, that the first step in conflict resolution in making peace with someone else involves taking an inward look and thinking about just where do I stand in my relationship with God. One of the first things that they did in this course, the first week we showed up to this course at Spring Creek, we did it at the, at the Gospel Hall there in Spring Creek, and we all showed up, and the, the, couple, the two couples that are kind of organizing the, the, um, um, the whole program, they were there with a whole bunch of hula hoops, and I thought that was kind of strange. <clears throat> I already had my antenna was already up to thinking that I didn't really need this, but then when I walked into the hall and they're standing there with a bunch of hula hoops, I said, okay, Sherry, like, you know, this is, this is, I'm not sure where this is going, but it was a profound lesson. They gave us all, every one of us got a hoop. And they asked us all to stand in. And they said, stand in that hula hoop. And when it comes to dealing with issues in your marriage, look within that ring, because that is where you need to start. It is a simple lesson, but it has been used over and over again these last number of weeks where we each had to say to each other, stay in your circle. Because I would have a tendency to, oh, listen, I've got it all figured out. I can tell you what's wrong with you. I can tell you where you went wrong. I can tell you the challenges that you have and not being focused on the person that's inside my circle. And what is interesting to me in conflict is that oftentimes we so quickly 
want to reach out, judge, pass judgment, identify the issues that are wrong and what the other person has contributed to the to how they've contributed to the conflict. The last thing we want to do is start with me and my relationship with God, and that is where we need to start. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, Paul, when writing to the Corinthians, he said, whatever you do, the backdrop of this is whether you eat meat offered to idols or you don't. And all of the challenges that can come into with legalistic, the legalistic challenges that the church dealt with in an early age, there were those that were on both sides of the fence. And Paul has written in a number of occasions that it didn't really matter. Read Romans 14, and he lays that out very, very simply, that whether you observe a holy day or don't, not the issue. Whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, not the issue. What is the issue is how you actually deal one with the other. That is what he's saying here exactly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whatever you do, whatever your action is, do it all to the glory of God. So the first question we need to ask ourselves when we are going to engage in any kind of conflict and and, and reconciliation and resolution is this. Number, what are my motives? Am I truly in this situation, in this what could be a heated moment, what could be a, a moment where emotions are high and tough conversations have to be had? Am I really truly trying to honor God? Or, or am I trying to prove that Craig Kelly is right? Because I like to do that. I love to do that. My wife has reminded me of that a number of times through this course, and I would agree with her, that I have an insatiable desire at times to be right. It might be a male thing, but not exclusively. We like to be right. And you know what else we like to do? We like to prove to you that I am right. It makes us feel so good. But when I think about a conflict, what am I striving to do? If I were to take a step back and think about some of the arguments or challenges or conflicts that I've been engaged in over the last 20 years of my life, has it started with me wanting to glorify God in the conversation and wanting that whatever the outcome is going to be, that God is going to receive glory? Or do is it really this? I hope at the end of this that I am proven right and they come groveling back to me and tell me all the ways in which they were wrong. So number one, glorify God. Number two, this might be the most challenging. Number two is get the log out of your eye. <clears throat> Matthew 7 and 5 is such a profound verse, that one that we often overlook, and it's actually one that almost breaks on us maybe a little bit when we think about this. What time do we normally end? We open. Oh. <laughs> um, Matthew 7 and 5 says, you hypocrite, when it comes to judging your brother and solving issues. You hypocrite, first take the plank, the beam, the larger item out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is likely the, one of the most important steps when it comes to conflict resolution and making peace. Because it doesn't deal with the other person. It deals with me and how I have contributed to the conflict. See, we like to think, when we think of conflict that happens in our lives, we like to think it's so much easier on our pride when we can think about it this way. I have been wronged. My rights have been impeded on. I've been made to look like a fool. 
and I am going to put it right. And what we don't like to focus on is how in some way, any way, even a small way that I have contributed to the disagreement or the conflict. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, have I been Christ-like in this situation? And I would say that likely 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer to that question in somehow, some way, is going to be no. Because I don't care who you are. You could be the most peace-loving, um, soft-natured, um, meek and humble person. Basically everything, that like no, no Irish in your, your background or nothing like that. And you could be that kind of person. And it's almost virtually impossible for you to be engaged in any kind of disagreement or conflict and be completely Christ-like. So the first step that I have to take is take a step back and think about my own actions and say, have I been Christ-like in this situation? This was one that hit me hard. What idols, what idols am I harboring that are contributing to this conflict? A very profound statement was made by one of the teachers of this program. And it said this, oftentimes the issues that arise in a marriage that cause conflict arise out of idols that one of you is harboring in your heart. Let me explain, maybe just a little bit deeper. Let's just say, what if I had the idol in my heart of wanting to be right all the time? You know, kind of a fanciful idea, but let's just say that idol might be there. But I really like to be right. And when you, how you know that that is an idol is that you're willing to fight for it. You're willing to dig in. You're willing to harm relationships because of it. You're willing to go to great lengths to protect this idol that is very, very important to you. Because we oftentimes think of idol as the fancy car or the big house or the big job or all that. All true. There are more subtle idols that every one of us very likely harbor in our hearts that I have just maybe more recently been made aware of. And they can be significantly detrimental to our relationships. But the statement was made that oftentimes it is the idols and the thing that you worship in your heart, in your heart of hearts, that often manifest themselves in a negative way in your relationship. So how do I deal with the idols in my life? James nails it in James 4, 1 and 3. We won't read it. But what does he say? Where do, where do quarrels and conflicts come? Where do they come from? They come from strife, envyings. They come from a lustful attitude in the heart of wanting things that you can't have. Seeking things that you don't need. Being focused on things that are not beneficial and not spiritual. That's where they come from. That's where conflict and quarrels come from. And that's exactly what the author is saying. And that if you want to trace back many of the challenges, many of the conflicts, many of the issues that, that arise in our relationships, you will trace them back into your heart. And it is often an idol that you are harboring in your heart the need to be right, the need to look good, the need to control other people. All kinds of idols that we can have that can spring from that can spring conflict and challenges and we need to own it. The final thing is, do I need to confess something? Another, again, recent revelation for me 
as what I would say is an often overlooked biblical truth that we have, and that is confession, one to the other. We, we are typically, generally speaking, I think, most of us are brought up to say we're sorry. Some of us find that easier than others. But we are generally brought up to say, I'm sorry. Okay, okay I'm sorry. And then it's kind of assumed that you're going to forgive me. Kind of. We kind of just say, well, if I kind of get up the urge to blurt out I'm sorry, then it's kind of assumed then that you will forgive me. The Bible doesn't really approach it that way. There is something that goes before saying you're sorry and before being forgiven. And it's called confession. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to skip over this for the sake of time. <clears throat> but I think this is important. Is that before resolution and peacemaking can take place, oftentimes confession to each other is often needed. And here is it just a very, this I found for myself very meaningful and Sherry can attest is something that actually impacted my life in a very real way after we went through it with our boys. That confession can have a profound impact on our relationships. I want you to just look with me very quickly at these seven steps of, 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 of uh, confession. Because I would tend to skip many of them. Number one, address everyone involved. Avoid if, but, and maybe. How many times have we come to someone trying to seek to kind of maybe, you know, get, get to the forgiveness spot, and we've kind of offered up a bit of a confession, but then we've, we've tempered it by saying, but you know, if you just had have acted a little bit differently, you know, if, if you just weren't so sensitive, this would not have taken place. But, you know, I, I confess. Avoid if, but, and maybe. Any qualifying statement or any qualifying word that is going to temper that confession, just state it simply and honestly and humbly to the other person. Admit specifically. Confessions are not meant to be general. God did not mean them to be general. God expects us to specifically admit the sin that we have committed. Like, brother so-and-so, I have called you a bad name. This is what I called you, and I am sorry. Not, I acted inappropriately. I maybe wasn't that wise in how I acted towards you. Specifically, Stating the sin so that it becomes completely transparent between you and the other person. Acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. Alter your behavior. And then ultimately, asking, specifically asking for forgiveness. Let's quickly come to number three. Those two, generally speaking, have to do with what is going on in my own circle. What's going on with me between me and God. How I am seeking to glorify God, even in this difficult situation. How I've acted. How I've contributed maybe to the fault or the challenge or the conflict. And then we get to the point now of progressive and positive steps toward restoring the relationship. Number three is gently restored. Galatians 6 and 1 says, Brother, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. There's just a couple of things that I think you should be 
cognizant of when we think about gently restoring. Obviously, Galatians 6 and 1 speaks for itself. It should be done in a gentle and in a godly manner. But the first thing I would say is be prepared for the journey. Just confronting something is not enough. You know, if you are willing and if you have the energy, the reason, the purpose of mind to go and confront someone, you need to be prepared to follow that journey through to the end. Because God never, ever, do you find in Scripture, and we'll see that in Matthew 18 here in, in a second, God does not say just simply, just simply go and make the person aware of the fault and then just kind of open up that scab and open up that wound and then just walk away and say, good luck with that. Now, God's intention are when you are going to go to the steps of making someone else aware of an issue or a challenge or address a conflict, that you need to be prepared to put the work in of whatever it's going to take, whatever the time frame is going to be, in order to see that relationship come to full restoration because God values reconciliation and restoration. Speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4 and 15 says, that in everything that we do, it should be, it should be centered on love and what God has done for us. And then be thoughtful. Plan out your words carefully. That's really what the process of Matthew 18 is that we read together. And I think it's so important for us to review this because this simple process has been given to us in Matthew 18, but I think in the local church setting and in our own, and in our, even in our marriages, it's oftentimes overlooked. It's a very simple process that we muck up so often. Number one, talk in private. How many conflicts do you can you think of or do you know over the last, maybe the last year? We have it while it's fresh in our mind. Where the person that you had something against, you talked to 15 other people before you ever talked to them. That sometimes the last thing we think of doing is actually keeping it discreet and going and talking to that person in private before we air it on Facebook and Instagram and every other form of social media. And some people still do use the phone and, and calling each other on the phone to talk about. Matthew 18, by it is not a mistake that the first step in the process is is to go in private and take it up with that individual. Then obviously, if that does not work, take one or two others along so that the words can be established and we can hopefully move this along to resolution. Number three, and I put it in red for a reason, tell it to the church. And again, remember from what we've covered already, these are not minor offenses. These are issues that need to be resolved because it is preventing someone from truly worshiping, at least from a biblical standpoint. It's preventing someone from truly coming with their gift to the altar. Something that is a serious offense, and it needs to be resolved. So tell it to the church. And number four, treat him as a non-believer. I put those final two in red because just to re-emphasize the point of how God views conflict resolution. Brothers and sisters, here's just what I would say for us on a serious note. I don't think we view it serious enough. And while on one hand, I believe there needs to be times in our life where we overlook minor offenses and silly little things that just get in our craw and bug us about other people, okay? We need to learn how to park those things. The flip side is this. When there are real significant issues that have come between brothers and sisters, between husband and wife, issues that, biblically speaking, are preventing them from having the proper worship relationship with their God, they need to be addressed. And if you want, a, if you want a, a, a scripture or a passage that teaches us how 
serious and significant God takes resolution and reconciliation, just read Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Because the ultimate end is if reconciliation can't be brought, is you're actually to treat that person as an infidel, as a non-believer. Now that's serious. I trust that never happens in any of our lives. I trust it never happens in Garnavillo or any other person that you know of. But that is the biblical process that God has put in place. Because God takes reconciliation and resolution and solving of issues. Seriously. The final is go and be reconciled. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is going to take forgiveness. It is going to take looking out for the interest of the offending party. How often have you gone into trying to resolve a conflict and that was first and foremost in your mind? Whether it's with your spouse or, or with someone else. No. Typically we enter into those conversations trying to exact revenge. Put things right. Show you how I am right. And if you happen to, if you happen to be crushed in that conversation, well then so be it. Just, you know, it is how it is. Had to put it right. Had to solve the issue. Didn't want this thing between us. And if through that maybe somewhat confrontational conversation, if one person, that other person kind of walks away a little bit crushed, but well, they know, they know now where they went wrong. How often have we entered into it truly taking the perspective of Philippians 2 and 4 in mind of truly being concerned, not, not just saying it, but really in my heart, being concerned with how I leave that other person after the conversation takes place. And then finally, Romans 12 and 21 says in all of our situation that there is only one way there's only one way often to overcome conflict and challenges, and that is to overcome evil, even when you have been wrong. Even in a conflict where it is so one-sided, you would say one person has been treated with evil and has been hard done by, Scripture teaches us that we need to, in every situation, overcome evil with good. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I hope this has been helpful. It's been a learning journey for me. Um, I'll, again, I'll just speak very openly with you here for a couple of seconds as I close. I would say, tell you before we started this course, uh, Sherry and I, we thought we were, Phil, we were in a very good spot. Not a lot of conflict, not a lot of challenges. But I would tell you going through this, it has opened our, my eyes to just maybe at times thinking that you're going down a good path or you're dealing with things appropriately and a given a different perspective on just how we deal with challenges and conflict and issues, not only in our marriages, but equally with my fellow brothers and sisters. Here's what I tell you, brothers and sisters. I would tell you there have been many cases in my past that I've, <laughs> the principles that I've shared with you today, I've gotten so wrong so often. Thankfully, I don't think many of them have been super damaging to my relationship, but I don't know that. But I think it's good for us to be sensitive to this. Other COVIDs are going to come. Other pressures are going to be applied to the local church. There are going to be other things that are going to challenge your relationship. And as I speak to some of the young people that are here today, many of you are going to enter into marriage relationships 
and it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be awesome. But challenges are going to come. Conflict is going to come. Conflict is going to arise. And the tragedy, as I've said before, is not that conflict sometimes comes. The tragedy is sometimes that we don't know how to deal with the conflict in a godly way. So commit yourself to being a peacemaker. Avail yourself of the resources that are out there to be able to work through this. And most of all, might we be able to see God glory in our relationships because that's certainly what he has intended. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful, our Father, <clears throat> for the clarity that your word gives us. We're thankful that it is so full of principles on how we are to deal with each other and how we are to uh, interact with one another. And whether it's in marriages or families or within the local church setting, Father, we just pray that we might be able to take some of these principles and apply them to our relationships on a daily basis. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to value peace the way you do, Father, and help us to value restoration and reconciliation in our relationships the same way that you do. View it the same way you do. We know you view it very seriously. You gave your son at the cross of Calvary so that we could be reconciled to you. And so, Father, we just pray that we might uh, count the cost of reconciliation and be willing to put it in our lives when it is needed. Thank you again for your son. We pray to bless the gospel that will be preached today and what has gone forth downstairs. And thank you again for your son in his name.